Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. We are back after a long winter's nap. I'm here with my co-host, Robert. Hi. My name's Eric, and first and foremost, how was your holiday, Robert? Well, I had a very, very rough Christmas. That's uh, <laughs> I was sick along with some family stuff happened, but otherwise it was a very quiet holiday. And the New Year's was a lot of fun. So yeah, I, we're we got the bad luck out of the way, and we're starting twenty twenty three on the right foot. Oh, glad you. Sorry for the bad luck, but I did not know that. So, um, but uh, glad everything is starting to work out for the new year. Um, for us, it was uh, it was short but sweet. I was able to spend some time with family in the limited time off that I had. Um, but it was uh, nice to see everyone and. Um, get a little bit of the Christmas traditions in there. So it was kind of nice. It felt very compressed, but um, I think the unseasonably cold weather we had here locally kind of made it feel like Christmas, which was kind of nice. Yeah. I, I know I'm normally a walking toaster oven so I can walk outside in shorts and a t-shirt and be like, hmm, this isn't that bad. Nah, the entire week after Christmas, it was legitimately like, I'm cold. It didn't help matters either. Uh, my son had another hockey tournament right after Christmas, so we spent like four days straight in the rink, and then it's cold outside. Everything is, all the air conditioners and the ice makers are much more efficient, so it's just like, oh, oh I am so cold. <laughs> yeah, so you'll all of our listeners, you will probably see this tonight, but my display board is also done. Yay! It's got a lot of yeah, cool features. You'll, yeah, you'll see the the ninety eight percent done product on the Facebook page later tonight with the entire night army on it. It actually very cool. And I look forward to seeing that as well. So uh, normally this time of year, this is one reason why we did take our our Christmas break is this is sort of the off season for the competitive track, and then we kind of bounce back for the last minute push towards LVL being the crowning of the ITC champion. So much like other sports, the off-season also brings a lot of news. And, um, well, this season did not disappoint. So let's get you caught up. We're going to go in chronological order, trying to catch you up a little bit. But uh, since our last recording, here's some of the big news items to talk about. So right off the bat, just the Wednesday before Christmas, uh, Games Workshop gave us a preview of the new season. So Nephilim being sunsetted effectively at the end of the year. And... Uh, the new season, which will be the Arcs of Omen, which we've already seen a lot of hints from from a lore standpoint, but I finally got some rules. And right off the bat, we have the Arcs of Omen Detachment. This thing is huge. <laughs> it was mind-boggling when this thing came out. So, so I'm going to utter this as someone who has never played an older edition since 8th edition. When did we go back to 6th edition? Why is there a single detachment? Why are there compulsory troop choices? Well, they're sort of compulsory art troop choices. They're not as bad as they were back in the old days. Yes, the, the days of the combined arms detachment of 3rd, 4th, and 5th edition, um, and somewhat 6th. What we have is this gargantuan, uh, and it, it takes up about a, three quarters of a page. What it allows you to do, you have one compulsory choice in the HQ slot, of course, unless you play Knigget's. And um, you have your then three slots but uh, you that are compulsory, but they have to be 
anything that you want, which is crazy. So they can be either heavy support, mm -hmm. fast attack troops, or elites. Um, you, flyers, you're still limited to two. But the nice thing is, is they've all lumped them together into a single detachment. So you don't need to bring in a fortification attachment, a supreme detachment, or a... Uh, Back in 5th and 6th, I think it was 6th and 7th, actually had the flyer detachment. I forgot what that was called. It's all in there. So you can pretty much take your entire army and slam it into one detachment. So that was the cool news. So you can, and at first it felt like, oh, okay, it's not hard to change my army into this new detachment rules. What's interesting is the optional choices that were also given. Um, for example, you have nine troop choices. So you could go three compulsory troop choices and then add an additional nine. So I have 12 troop choices for just OPSEC or media. But uh, from if you have choose the other groups, you have three elites, three heavy support, three fast attack. You also have three additional elites as long as they're characters. So, so those are factions that have a lot of characters in their elite slots. You're not going to be gobbling them up um, when you want to use your elite troops. Looking at you, Death Guard. Okay, good. I was thinking. I was trying to think. Of, other than Gene Steeler Cult, there was a couple of other options. Uh, they gave you a new. Since you're only dealing with this mega detachment, it was, it was finally confirmed after going through some of the rules that the the vanguards, outriders, and uh, brigades and battalions. Yeah, they're all gone. You must start with an and only use this detachment plus a patrol of a very limited ally matrix. So uh, at first it was only hinted at. It's now come to light. It's very, very limited. Uh, and there's actually a couple of hiccups uh, in the rules. So Yeah, the, overall, the Arcs of Omen detachment, the, the, one, the one field choice that you forgot to mention there, Eric, is you can, in fact, bring three Lords of War I did. As, yes. as a compulsory choice along with that HQ choice. So for knights in both variants, you can play up to six different Lord of War choices, which, I mean, half the time it's already kind of picky and choosy anyway, so you can be even more picky and choosy. But for things like um, Necrons, for instance, you can bring, if you wanted to, you could bring obelisks, you could bring monoliths, you could bring any of your Lord of War choices that isn't the Tesseract Vault, because the Tesseract Vault has a Catan keyword, and they'll actually get your faction traits now. Say that again one more time. Make sure everybody's listening. So yes, if we have one, as an example, we have an Orc player here in the Valley. He loves his Stompa. He could bring the cheapest HQ that he could find and three Stompas, given that they could actually fit. Those three Stompas, hypothetically, will get the faction traits. Whereas before, they were too inhibitively expensive, so you'd have to put them in a super heavy auxiliary detachment, which means they wouldn't get the traits because it's an auxiliary detachment, not a super heavy detachment. So let's go back to some of those other examples. Want to do the three monolith thing? Yeah, they get the uh, Necron Dynasty treatment. You're really excited for the New World Eaters Codex? Guess what? Your Lords of Skulls has the treatment that all the other guys get. It's pretty amazing. So that's some of the early predictions is we may see more Lords of War moving forward. So it'd be kind of nice to see mm -hmm. that. And there is one negative thing that comes out of this Arcs of Omen detachment. I've done the math on my custodes list. If I brought bare minimum troops for like, um, no, like no troops at all in my list, I could effectively play almost 18 bikes. Sounds like a winning list to me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't have OPSEC in my army. Okay. 
I literally just kill you by the sheer amount of attacks and or shots or whatever. So it's a really high skewing number and it does harken back to the, the leaf blower list days where people bring, I'm going to bring as many copies of this data sheet or this weapon as I can find. And I'm just going to table you as fast as possible. So that way you don't get to play the mission period. Right. Yeah. That, that's what the whole sounds like, when you're dead. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like I'm um, a Kasserkin problem. Not, not hearkening at Imperial garden anyway. Of course not. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of speculation at, at this point because we didn't have a lot of information and lots to talk about as we let into the holiday. The Allied detachment was also interesting. So the good old patrol, uh, still in its current form, two troops, uh, maximum of three, uh, excuse me, one compulsory, I think, max of three, and then two of every other slot, um, compulsory one HQ, two max. But it was very, very limited that, that you could bring, mm-hmm. for example, um, craft worlds and... Uh, Drakari could bring Harlequins as the traveling players. That's you could do that. Uh, I believe Gene Steeler Cult could bring Brood Brothers, but then of course not the other way around. Tyranids could not bring Gene Steeler Cult. There are a few other odds and ends, but there was one in particular for the Imperium that really shook people up. Yep, if you were <clears throat> Imperium, just Imperium keyword, you can bring a detachment, either a patrol or a super heavy auxiliary detachment. That's the other allowance. Ah, yes, of Votan. Of Votan. Yeah. So, needs a little extra shooting. You like the idea of wounding people on hit rolls. There you go. Bring bring the space doors. There you're good. And the, the issue that people are getting hung up on is because it doesn't specify in the rules, as far as we know yet, that taking a detachment of Votan in your Space Marines or Custodes or Sisters or whatever breaks your faction bonus. So right now the assumption is that if you bring Votan with Space Marines, you don't get Doctrines. We'll get to touch on that a little bit later, why that's so important. Similar issue is uh, the Supreme Commander models. So before you just took them in a Supreme Commander detachment and everything was merry. Now since you only have these two detachments, um, what happens if you take... Silent King, but you want to be Nickelback. Do you lose your faction bonus? Um, similar uh, things, even with uh, does you have to be Goths. Uh, Abaddon really messes things up as well, so there's a lot of questions, and those have not been cleared up uh, pretty much across the board. Even uh, the, probably the worst one's got to be Assassins. Because uh, <laughs> not only uh, do you... Do I lose my faction bonuses for bringing an Assassin? But my assassin rules have actually expired because um, many books, including like Book of Rust and some of the other campaign supplements, uh, went the way of Cinderella on midnight on New Year's Eve. So, uh, not sure what you're supposed to be doing with your vindicators. Yeah, it's there's a lot of weird things that are going on in general for this new detachment existing because when you also look at it in the long run unless they continue arcs of omen into the later half of the year we're only going to play with this attachment for six months it's a good way to look at it too so and i think there's a lot of questions are there we were still kind of on this hazy um are we you know looking for hints for 10th edition what are some of the rules and all that uh, I think what they come out with in the next uh, next two items we're going to talk about kind of shakes it up that the ninth edition isn't quite ready to go to bed yet. So I think uh, there's a lot of play left in in these next six months in ninth edition that probably we didn't know about. So which brings us to our next point: uh, Christmas Day. Uh, 
a new model. Thank you, uh, all Dark Angel fans. You've got Azriel in uh, Primar in a super Primar. Good, good. Primaris forms. What I was trying to say. Yep, he finally decided. Now it would have made the internet go nuts if it was the lion, but no, no, the lion's yeah. too grumpy, sitting on his rock. And then shortly thereafter, uh, silhouettes of some new hinted models that will be coming out, both uh, not only for 40K, but also for um, Age of Sigmar and uh, Horus Heresy. So all of them got the, the silhouette treatment. Try to make them out. One definitely looks like an orc. One definitely looks Eldari. One definitely looks Imperial. One looks... Not, I'm not really sure what it is. It's kind of globular. So, uh, Yeah, The from the way I look at it... <clears throat> The few pictures that I was able to see, one of them is presumably like the Primaris Devastator Squad equivalent. And then the ones that I'm looking at, it looks like one of them is could potentially be a Tau model with the way the legs are laid out. Oh, I could see that. Okay. Like maybe a new Commander Farsight. Is he due for a new model? I thought he already got a new model. Well, because I don't know the actual Commander Farsight model. All I know is that he's a commander in a crisis suit, basically. So people can kit bash him all the time and make him look super cool. But this suit specifically has a very large and defined sword on his right hip. Interesting. Okay, I totally missed that. I'm going to take a look, closer look while we're talking here. And the last one in this article from the 30th, so right before the end of the year, I think those are new Kabbalite warriors. They're pointy enough. So I've had a lot of my friends reach out to me, and um, I hate to say I think it is another Corsair's unit. And the only reason I say that is the gun's wrong. It looks like a shuriken catapult. And, yeah, that's um, a good point. And also a bird. I've never seen Dark Eldar have a bird. Well, they have razor wing flocks, and they've been out of stock forever. Um, they're, they were fine cast model, and they kind of just... And actually, it's one of those abused models from third-party vendors for tournaments. Mm -hmm. They were really popular for a while. Actually, most of the beasts have been now on range rotation, so they're not... You can't even order them now if you wanted to. So, it could be that, but um, yeah, the gun throws it off. That's where I'm like, Ur. Yeah. I was going to say, like, ooh, maybe then a new Beastmaster model, but the Beastmaster doesn't wear as much armor. The... Um, now I'm looking at the Tau thing one more time. It makes sense also because it also has all that greenery around him mm -hmm. and around his base. And then there's also, originally I thought this was an Imperial Guard model, the one with the Storm Shield, the right shield looking thing. But now I'm hearing rumors that it's, um, I can't remember, the Arbitus, Arbites, the, the police force. So Oh yeah, the Adeptus Ar Arbides. Yeah, the Judge Dreads. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what that could be there. But we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't be curious to see if we have more reveals at... Uh, Las Vegas open. So I'd be curious to see if we get more uh, clear reviews of what those things could be. Yeah. Overall, it's definitely going to be a very fancy year because of the fact that on top of these new models coming up for the year, we do have guard and world leaders also eventually coming out. And let's not forget the narrative drive here. You also have crazy models like the, totally not a demon prince Vashtor coming out and we get to see how that comes into play for both tournaments and just overall yeah so very interesting stuff actually if you've had uh we'll get well, well, well i don't want to rush ahead so okay so new year's comes through um interesting enough so thinking a couple the first two days of the new year it was pretty quiet on all things front 
they start showing a little bit how to build your boarding action list for Arcs of Omen. Um, it looks like a lot of fun. I've, I've done boarding action games, in, both with Warhammer and other. It is very different, um, <laughs> but this definitely feels like a great way to introduce new players to the game because there's a very much simplified. Yeah, it's the, hey, you buy the box of boarding action, you get all of these walls, or hey, you got Necromunda, or you got the Horus Heresy, and you have the Zone Mortalis tile. I'm pretty sure all those walls are roughly the same size, and they have bulkheads. Yeah, so what's interesting is, yeah, it's a 500-point army that you're playing. There's almost, like, no compulsory choices. You're very limited. I think it's Elites, Troops, and HQ. Fast and Attack. Fast Attack, okay. And then there's certain armies have different exceptions to the rule. And, um, but actually, you mentioned that, oh, I've got these models, these walls lying around. I can play this, right? Apparently, that's not the case. You have to buy the current, because they actually, in their missions, have, this is the map, and this is exactly where the, the wall sections need to go. And they're numbered. So there actually is, like, fixed terrain boards for each mission in Arcs of Omen. Yep, that's going to definitely be an interesting thing. Yeah. Because I know overall, I, I thought some of the rules were super cool. Yes. But overall, I'm not a fan of smaller scale games because like playing Custodes, I get 500 points of Custodes. I get f- like five models. I was like, do you even get that many? <laughs> <laughs> playing Orcs? Okay, for 500 points, I can bring like 20 boys, some Gretchen, and a war boss. Like it's, it's just a really, really tight game size, and I'm just not for it because it can be super swingy if an army like custodes just goes bonk down here yeah i i agree with you Uh, what i do like kind of pouring over it is there's some interesting rules there's some interesting actions and is this a there's almost no stratagems there's like no Mm -hmm. um so it's is this a hint of 10th edition or is this simply they are overheard. Okay, you want we've created too many rules. So is this simply the intro game? Because the other thing I can see with this is you could probably play four players at the same time, and you know you kind of get more players to play in the same game at the same moment. So mm-hmm. I, I don't see this being a competitive way of moving things. I would not worry about. I need a boarding action list by LVO. No, that's not the case. This is a definitely the beer and pretzels, and it will be a lot of fun. I don't want to. Just besmirch it, but yeah, I was kind of like, okay, neat. Yeah, so for now, until unless we see something crazy, like suddenly boarding actions becomes the new top competitive format, I doubt. Just get used to your player place terrain and a whole bunch of dice and a whole bunch of models. Yeah. So uh, some of the f- listener feedback we've gotten over the while is uh, if it weren't for our show, they didn't know Warmer Plus was still in uh, in operation. It is. They're having another giveaway. You can get all kinds of paint. But uh, just a quick shout out. If you've not seen the uh, trailer for Pariah Nexus, wow. Um, picture the same animators that did the Exodite. It looks it basically, do you remember the trailer when Ninth Edition dropped? Yep. <laughs> it's that in movie form. <laughs> Okay, that's actually yeah. So basically, the way it and the, the way the trailer leads it up, you've got that one sister of battle. You got a couple of uh, guardsmen, and then a random space marine. I think it was a crimson fist or a ultramarine. I can't remember. And yeah, it was a it was an ultramarine sergeant. Uh, so 
they survived and they're trying to like, oh my god, how do we continue surviving? Meanwhile, the Necrons are like, hey, I thought we cleared this planet. There's still some human life down there. You, Deathmark, clean this up. And the animation of this Deathmark materializing in and out of reality and taking pot shots is, is really cool. <laughs> yeah, so I'll probably have to watch it after it fully comes out, just like I did with the Exodite. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Oh, so I have talk- a lot more stuff to ingest. Yeah, so yeah, that was one of the problems. Exodite's great if you could see all three episodes one by one. Seeing the Exodite three episodes over five weeks was terrible. I was like, oh, what is this nonsense? So question for you, just before you get back into the, the greedy stuff. We had a campaign pack called Pariah Nexus. We had a kill team set, and now we have a show. In a non-COVID world, do they all come out at the same time? Potentially. I think that's, I think the future of Warhammer Plus, that would have been really cool. Like, I'm watching the mm-hmm. show. I will buy the book and do the adventure myself. That looks like a lot of fun. So I would really yeah. love to see an Arcs and o- you know, Arc of Omen show, but I don't know if that's in the works or not. <laughs> oh, the animation on Vashtor would be so hard. <laughs> good point. Very good point. So, of course, the most. Unless they did it. Unless they did like hammer and bolter. Oh, I hope not. It's not that it's bad. It's just not my favorite style. I, I, yeah. I, my preference. Um, more match play news. Not for this show, but uh, Blood Bowl match play. If you had a chance to look at it. Pretty interesting stuff. That is a, definitely a game system that has suffered not having a Games Workshop focused match play system. There's been a lot of jury rigs among tournament organizers. So it's very interesting to see what they did with that. Um, moving forward. Uh, yes, the first. All right, this we're now at the top of the roller coaster, folks, and it's about to go plunging down. January fifth, Meta Watch Forty K, New Year, New Balance Data Slate, New Motorium Field Manual. It's here, folks. The new season available to you for download, ready to come. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a thing, and this is gives you the basic bones of playing in Arcs of Omen. It gives you an idea of some of the secondary changes that happened. So like one generic one, grind them down. It still works the same, where if you kill more units than your opponent during the battle and you get three points. Caveat, though. If you destroyed an enemy troop unit, if you destroyed an enemy unit with a troop's choice or a small knight chassis, so an armager or a war dog, take your pick, you gain a command point. So there's built-in incentivized to continue playing troops when you could literally play no troops in your list at all yeah this is also where you learn the other fun part of the moving forward uh this arcs of omen detachment unlike any other detachment we've played with how many cp does it cost robert the reason why i didn't talk about it is it costs nothing how much does this allied patrol cost nothing and how much does it cost to put units into strategic reserve now? Absolutely. At this rate, Eric, you're going to get me on copyright because it's absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So all of a sudden, you we're still sticking to the 6 CP at the start of the game, but really all you're spending it on is requisition. Uh, they did add uh, a hint of a new stratagem. So, for example, if you're a... A tiered player, and you wanted a second hive tyrant, you can spend a command point and even and break that one per detachment restriction. Mm-hmm. Same with orcs with war bosses, custodes with shield captain, um, <clears throat> tau that isn't farsight enclaves to get a second commander, like that entire thing 
where you can choose to double up on your detachment if you absolutely need all the buffs. I think the one thing that gets around it might potentially be um, blah, 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 Chapter Master and Space Marine Captain, because I believe the Chapter Master might lose the Space Marine Cap restriction. But I haven't looked at a Marine book in forever, so don't quote me on that. Mm. Just assume that if you want two Captains, you pay a command point. There are a ton of point changes. Uh, many factions went up, many factions went down. Lots to cover, and quite frankly, if you, uh, there, we can recommend several other podcasts and or video folks that do a much better job breaking down line by line. But uh, the key one, uh, actually, Robert, what do you think are some of the big macro points that everybody should know about going into this season? Um, Space Marine, I think if you look at the army overall, they got something like 15 to 1600 points cheaper, hypothetically, because of the fact that most equipment for them has either become free or incredibly discounted, along with natural points drops for their units. So you can run around with Vanguard veterans with Thunder Hammers and Storm Shields when Thunder Hammers and Storm Shields are maybe an extra like eight points for the both. Yes. Across the board, there's been some huge discounts. Uh, some other, uh, excuse me, uh, factions, Tyranids, for example, saw some rather hefty increases. Uh, Harlequins got an interesting, they got some of their uh, data slate restrictions revoked but then they increased the point cost to take those options uh, architect of mirrors being one of them which a uh, great uh, segue to the balanced day slate any major rule changes we should know about well since we're talking about clowns i guess we should stay on clowns um sorry guys you, you flip belts they're out of fashion for like two years now so the entire harlequin's army is now getting shifted to a five up in yeah, whatever it was from yeah it was a four up. It was literally, I had the bane of shooting into them with like 24 shots, wounding with 20 of them, and then magically he makes 17 of them. And I just feel so mad because that 10 man troop unit should be. Yeah, Southair moves up to a four up. Everything else in the book, which I believe had a four up involved, now moves to a five up. So uh... yeah. they also did clarify that anything that would provide their invuln to be higher than a four up is worse by one so literally the best invuln that harlequins can get is a four up invuln. which is interesting because that's something it's a device mechanic they've talked about in the past is that they felt that like anything better than a four up invuln was flirting with disaster and mm -hmm. yet in this edition we saw quite a bit of it so it was like didn't we learn our lesson well i guess we're trying to fix that post taste so yep and <clears throat> i i think at this point eric because we're steamrolling headfirst Something's missing from the data slate. Something's missing? What could that be? Um, well, it lets me take an AP-1 Choppa and put it straight into a Space Marine's face and not worry about him going, haha, I have a 3-up armor save, to an AP-1 Choppa. Yeah, so um, you might want to relook at your codices, all those AP-1 and AP-2 weapons. Just got a new lease on life as an AP-4 weapons because Armor of Content is gone. Yep, and it's not gone just for Marines, just for Sisters. It is literally gone for everyone. So Lehman Rust tanks with a two-up armor save and whatnot. Nope, they get they are just big old bodies with T8 and two-up armor. Space Marines, 
Nope, they're walking around with three up armor saves again, unless they have a storm shield. The whole hiding, I'm in cover, so I, am, I have a one plus save. Good luck shooting me. Yeah, all gone. So, be very interesting. Um, so that definitely rocks uh, Chaos Space Marines a little bit, because they did not see as many direct buffs, although their secondaries definitely seem to have gotten a improvement. The durability of your standard Space Marine may have changed, but they did get a new ability as well, which seems to echo something we see in the boarding action rules, and that is they have uh, the ability to be make their objective sticky. <clears throat> yeah, they just carry a bottle of glue around, and they just blah, blah, blah. No, it's... <laughs> a little zip kicker. Space, mar <laughs> Space Marines are now officially the only army in the game that, regardless of mission type, their troops' choices, so... Firstborn or Primaris, it is age agnostic. They start their turn, they start their command phase on an objective. That objective marker will be theirs until you come and touch. I find it frustrating. This used to be a demon roll, and uh, now they gave it to Space Marines. I was like, wow, fluff wise, this feels weird. But the um, reason why I bring this up, there is a action in the boarding action rules called um, Site Secure. So if you spend an action, you on an objective and do you make it sticky and basically what they're implying is space marines do it without having to do an action so i don't know if this is a hint for a 10th edition rules it's just as a play test either way it'll make things very interesting for space marines and especially we say with possibly devastator units coming out for primaris marines yep now i do appreciate the fact that when they said it it was exclusively true so it's not like you can walk around with the rights of war warlord trade on something and go here are my terminators that are obsec right now we're going to stand us on this objective and you're not going to take it from us because we're just going to sit here all so it's only intercessors and tactical yeah, intercessors tactical marine incursors infiltrators and assault intercessors the issue i see with all that is infiltrators because infiltrators can forward deploy indeed so they can literally turn one you bring infiltrators you can look at your opponent and go these two objectives are mine all game good luck other big change uh we talked about this in many of our list reviews of uh, the the presence of flamers of zeech in every chaos list yep so everyone was <laughs> harping for them to not be flame weapons or everything else like that. No, they they went, all right, we hear you talking about it. We're literally going to make them have a flame weapon, but not be a flamer. So it's still an assault weapon. It still has the same number of shots. It still has the same profile. But now they actually have to roll the hit. Which is especially effective with Overwatch because they are vulnerable to close combat. Yep, and also that means they suffer... Things like dense cover. Which is interesting, considering you're using a flamethrower, but okay. I like to think now that instead of fire, they're just... They have a satchel full of brimstones that they just throw at people. It's interesting to look at it. But otherwise, the the balance day slate did touch a lot of things for a lot of people. Everything we can go over, but some of it I'm not exactly privy on how effective it is. Because half of the armies that got affected don't aren't in my library. Yeah. Yeah, just quick review. Uh, Tyranids, we already talked about their point changes. Uh, the overrun stratagem now only affects core units, so that was a, a big issue when it came to being able to move large, you know, large monsters, things which are not core. Chaos Space Marines, Creations of Bio, they used to have a fight on death uh, ability, now that only works on a 4+. Depths mm -hmm. of Stoves, these guys are in your wheelhouse. Yes, yes, they are. 
So the stratagems for Emperor's Auspice, Martial Discretion, and Arcane Genetic Alchemy, those are... like Okay, so Auspice and Arcane Genetic Alchemy, so Transhuman and No Rerolls are still exclusive, but stuff like Auspice, Martial Discretion, and Esteemed Amalgam, so the Emperor's Chosen Specific Strat, those were all restricted to just infantry and also once per game those restrictions are gone so now we can put people into other shield hosts as much as we want we can put them in different doctrines as much as we want well different katas as much as we want but the other big change which makes my my little golden heart flutter as i prepare to leave them for the knights next season my terminators are obsec again so are my wardens yeah i don't know never too late to change back <laughs> nope i'm set my knights are painting my display board's done i'm <laughs> i'm in it for the long haul so otherwise those are some of the major changes i think overall uh two more real quick uh we talk about this necron list almost every week uh eternal conquerors were you oh that's right i forgot about that they got like an even heavier hail of doom treatment yeah so eternal conquerors this is the one where everybody becomes uh Objective secured, and you take something aggressive expansionists, so you get a pregame move. Yeah, that doesn't work anymore, because Eternal Conquerors is um, locked. You can't take it a second code if you're making your own dynasty, so sorry about that. And this one is a wild card. I'm curious to see more about this. Uh, Cataphon Breachers and Destroyers get the core keyword in Adeptus Mechanicus. That is true, because I know the original ad mech list idea was here's my blob of rangers here's my blob of vanguard because they were core and they benefited from mostly everything together as long as the correct thing and then you just brought iron striders and whatnot to fill out the rest of it and the cataphrons didn't really do anything yeah they're just big bases that didn't get uh they were infantry i believe so they got to just walk through buildings but they weren't core so they didn't get the rerolls outside of the mars so now they get all the rerolls so now you can have like here's rangers rangers and one big brick of cataphron will delete almost anything it looks at with like it's fo- like phosphorus blasters or whatever right the thing i've been seeing is because they also now benefit from canticles so mm-hmm. what you can do now is because they are a t t5 three wound maybe four i have to double check that uh troop choice so i am now sitting on an objective i now have means to improving my four up uh ballistic skill and if you try to shoot me back i can also get a five up feel no pain yeah that that feel no pain is definitely something that i wish custodes would have because we are basically that same exact stat line just with a better armor save and an invuln right so between that and oh by the way bionics went up from a six plus invul to a five up invul so i think your skatari are still going to be kicking around for quite some time oh yeah definitely and i know this is going to rub salt in the wound of the tyranids because we just talked about them and i thought we didn't have anything else you now have to pay for spore mines oh i did forget about that yes you need to fire uh yeah they are reinforcement points and I, yeah, and it's 10 points a year. Yeah, we have more salt in the wounds, by the way, but it also puts salt in Tau, so that may bring joy to some of you out there. Uh, flyers must start the game in reserve. Yep. That is something that people were harping over because Flyers being on the table, if you went first, they were really strong. If you went second and your opponent had ways of dealing with them with like long-range, high-power guns, your Flyers were basically dead weight, given your opponent could actually hit them. Correct. 
So like the towel list that Thomas Ogden uses with the double Sunshark bombers, if you don't use them for move blocking, you literally fly them across your opponent's army and off the table and drop bombs. You also can't drop bombs now when you... You have to stay on the table to be able to drop bombs. So I hate to say it, bombers are dead right now. Yep. So we get to see the Sunshark bombers and Void Ravens once again be put back on the shelf for a while. In place of other things. So just when you think, oh, you're just being a naysayer, here's here's the logic. They don't start the game on turn one. Turn two, they enter the game via deep strike. Hence, they did not move over any models. Therefore, they cannot drop their bombs on turn two, giving your opponent a full shooting phase to take a shot at them. Turn three, they finally can move and hopefully drop their bombs. And then they have to stay on the table, which means you get a second turn of shooting at your bomber so even though the sky sharks had the ability to draw multiple bombs they probably won't live that long so unfortunate so all gone yeah and it also gives your your opponent the chance because if you went first with the bomber you flew it off the table all of their army is still clumped together so you could literally fly it in a straight line and go bink 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 so this led up a very interesting set of circumstances, and our timeline moves very quickly at this point. As I mentioned, this came out on January 5th, uh, well before the new rules cut off for Las Vegas Open. Many people began to speculate, would they incorporate some of these rules or not? Uh, they had said previously they would not. They were going to keep it as close to being the previous season. So players were who used whatever rule set in armies and missions that they were accustomed to during the past season would be used to determine the championships. So sure enough, they did come back and the organizers and the tournament organizers and referees, we are moving the clock back. We will not use any rules submitted after December 31st, which then created a new fun part because that means several of those campaign supplements that were due to expire are now legal for LVO. So yes, for those of you attending LVO, what that means, the practice games that you are going to get with Arcs of Omen will still be helpful. But when you get to this event, you're going to have to turn off that logic for a second and remember that flamers no longer have to hit you. They just automatically hit you and you'll be seeing flyers start on the table turn one. Which, I mean, it's just a proper end cap to a season of 40k. Although the it does leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths for the, oh, sorry, the new rules come out right before the rule cutoff date. And I know a lot of us want to play with the new rule set so that way we can start practicing. And there's a whole bunch of field bats that happens on both ends. So I think they went with the lesser. Yeah, which seemed to be, and we've gotten kind of used to this. But it was interesting as this happened again. People's th- the outcry on the internet was, "Why can't Games Workshop work together with the Las Vegas Open? It's the biggest event. It's the championship season. Um, why do the mission sets come out January to July, and then and rather than February to August, which would match the ITC season?" And Games Workshop, we use this term a lot. You say game changer. Any other week, we would have said the the removal of armor contempt was a game changer. This was a game changer. This is one of those directly affects how you play the game. Games Workshop said, oh, I'm sorry. Did you say Las Vegas Open was the championships? No, 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 no. Here's our latest announcement. 
Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp, or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So, if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. Just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models. And if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. For the past two years, the U.S. Open Series has come to a head in the finale at the end of each season. Behind the scenes, our Warhammer events team has been working with worldwide community independent organizers with an eye of making this year's finale a truly global event. The 2023 tournament season will cultivate in just that, the World Championships of Warhammer. This incredible finale will be fought between winners of some of the biggest and best Warhammer events from around the world. Qualifying players will be invited to finals in Atlanta, Georgia from November 16th through the 19th. For those who are keeping track, it's at the Hyatt Regency in Atlanta. At this time of writing, we have more than 170 qualifier slots from 18 countries across three continents. This includes Australia, Germany, France, Spain, Sweden, the UK, and the US, to name just a few. And we're still looking to expand further. Keep an eye out for news of full lists of qualifying events in the coming weeks. We will be announcing the details of our own U.S. Open Series next week. So about by the time this podcast comes out, probably about three, four days after that. With tickets to set to go on sale in early February, tickets for one of the major independent qualifiers, Adepticon, goes on sale this weekend. So right off the bat, Adepticon is one of the qualifier events. The other independent ones, Nova Open, and the London GT. All right. And LVO. From what I remember reading in the article, I believe they do factor in LVO as a potential. Yeah, the Las Vegas Open, Adepticon, London GT, and Nova are all listed and will probably be qualified. So there you go. You now have two circuits to work on. 
and a mouth. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so very interesting. So you have the Games Workshop uh, by attending all the U.S. Opens, and you can pull your your own John Lennon and win all those. Or you can go the Frontline Gaming route and attend all their events, getting seated opportunities at LVO. Interesting. Um, I think it's no coincidence that Games Workshop partnered with some of the larger independents that maybe didn't work so closely with Frontline Gaming. It just overall just shocks me at this point. It's almost like back here in the U.S. when we have... um, we used to have the coaches poll in college football and the writers poll in college football. And sometimes we'd have two champions because they saw the, how they, these teams played differently mm-hmm. as somebody who plans their year in advance and what events they're going to, how does this change your game plan, Robert? Well, I want to, I'm going to give you a return question. If you were to have the drive and have the availability to start the year, knowing that there are two major qualifying events. Why not both? Good question. So I would say, if I yeah, if money and uh, time were no object, could you do both? Absolutely. I would assume that if I went to a U.S. Open event, I would still be collecting my ITC points. So theoretically, I could still win the ITC. And possibly you do. I could actually unify both circuits by winning the championship in Atlanta and then coming into Las Vegas that following January and win the ITC there. It's a possibility. Um, so it's a 17 inch charge, but never mind. <laughs> but. Yeah, giving you you a 3D6 strat and whatnot. But so it's for those people that don't want to have to worry about going into the next year of, all right. LVO is in January. I have something going on at the start of the year that I need to plan for every single year. The U.S. Open circuit, if it caps off at the WCW, which is what I'm going to call it. Nice. Heard it here um, first, folks. (laughs) So the WCW is capped off at November. That gives you an entire month of not having to worry about an event. So you can actually enjoy an off-season and start building and playing a new army if you want to try with something next year. It has slightly more incentive to it because of the fact that it only runs for over 11 months, but you have to hit specifically those events. Whereas the ITC and FLG and whatnot, they're all tied in together continuously throughout the year. So you can hit whatever events that you're able rather than forced. Those are good points. I like that. Very well said. The other thing I will look at is FLG has already announced their events and they've been pretty consistent. Yeah, you know, we've the Cherokee opens back for its second year. Atlantic City it's back for its second year. They added one in Denver. Uh there's always seems to be always the uh Bay Area open as well as the SoCal open. Kind of count on those. I will freely admit we have a geography bias because we are close by to three of those. I don't know where the U.S. Opens will be this year. They were not in the same cities as they were the year before. I have a feeling that the reason why they weren't in the same cities as they were before is because GW was probably scouting locations and seeing where the biggest turnout was. Could be. Could be. Um, Now, I can count on Adepticon. I can count on... Uh, the London GT, I can count on Nova. I guess some people are going to get into this. It's, okay, one uses GW terrain, the other one uses player place terrain. The I have not had any practice on the GW playing. I've heard positive reviews for both, but they are different. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is different aspects of playing the same game in different ways, and that is realistically about it. So, it's a 
I have yet to go to a GW event because of the fact that their tickets upon first glance were higher than most FLG events that I was going to. But when I look at, because I do have my Rocky Mountain Open ticket, and I think about the price of that event versus a GW one, I think the tickets are going to be roughly about the same nowadays because of the fact that you're paying for the experience not so much the event if you haven't been there before so my opinion could change but i know this year i'm very much set on which events i'm going to and they are all flg ones unless one of the open ones is just a logically better choice so i'm going to take your question you said earlier and rephrase it a little bit and so you said if money and time was no object reality check okay we made, I even made fun of myself. Uh, could I win it? Ugh, probably not. So now I have to pick and choose my events carefully. One of the things, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, there seems to be much more focus on best in faction at these events. There seems mm-hmm. to be, GW seems to attract a, a, how do I phrase this carefully? Um, the top end is probably just as competitive as an FLG event, but the middle to lower half is maybe not as competitive. There's a lot of folks, their first major tournament is a GW event. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to get into this. The GW champion will be not as strong as the FLG champion. I think they'll both be the same because they have to get through the top players to win. But it might be not as quite the feeding frenzy as some of the other events that you've seen in other ones. Yeah, like the... I know for a fact that going to Rocky Mountain, I expect to see if not two, maybe four Art of War members go there because it's the first one of... So they'll probably be there aiming to take the the first ever trophy for at home. Yep. Whereas if I waited to see if a open event was going somewhere else, there would be less chance of an Art of War guy or someone from death and glory or xenos petting zoo or you you name one of the, like the top five teams in the itc right now someone's going to go to that event someone's going to aim to try and win that cup yep but the the blah, 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 english <laughs> the collective draw of us mid-table warriors let's not sugarcoat it we we try our best but we can never break into that top echelon because of certain things like lack of practice or in my case a lot of the times i hit the stupid button because i want to do the cool thing and the fun thing not the thing that will win me the game and that forces us to stay in the mid-table obscurity where we go five and one, but we don't get into the top tables because we didn't score. So that's what's interesting is maybe moving forward, I'm looking at all these events as a whole. Are there more avenues for, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say, are there more opportunities to win at different circuits? You mentioned Best in Faction, Games Workshop has a, you have the top generals, but you also have a best overall. So you know, kind of harkens back to the old days of, of tournament play where your paint score and your winning uh, added together was a big deal. Maybe that's the next route. Uh, FLG has also mentioned that, you know, best in faction has a couple options as well. So now there's an incentive to, <laughs> yes, I, I do play this faction and I know our codex is terrible and I don't see an update for the next 12 years, but I'm still playing it. <laughs> Third edition Drukari all the way through. Up to <laughs> but yes it's there's different draws for different people flg event or purely itc related events 
have draws that you get players like Brandon Grant. We haven't seen him crop up very much this year. If he was to come back next year, I have a feeling that we'll see him go to like maybe one GW event because it's close to where he lives. Otherwise, he'll just go to like ITC events because of the fact that there's an abundance of them in his area, that kind of thing. Whereas if you go over to down to Florida, where the Art of War guys are and stuff, since they do it for a living, they'll bounce to wherever they want to send guys. So it just depends on your situation, really, because if you want to come home with the big fancy GW things, you go after that. If you want to go after the ITC in general and have a little more scheduling freedom, you can do that. So I'm going to play a little conspiracy game. All right, I got my tinfoil hat on. Got it? Okay. If I remember correctly, and I might be wrong on this, but it, I, I'm pretty sure this is the last year FLG will be running Las Vegas Open at the Rio. So not only do they have the option to move the venue, they could theoretically move the date. Could they move LVO to early December, knowing that Games Workshop has planted their poll in November to end their season? That could be a possibility, because when you think about it, if you wanted to have the competitive season end on a healthier note where rules changes aren't such a big issue with cutoff dates and balance, and like just general balance updates fit into the window better. If they didn't want to put it at early December, maybe like the latest would be mid-December. So something like the latest would be the 17th through the 19th of December. So that way people can still go home to their families and stuff for Christmas. Right. And I'm assuming running an event over Christmas would be ridiculously expensive anyway. So yeah, I I hear what you say. Yeah, that would work. Because then you have the ITC season, which ends on that day. And then you have two weeks off until it starts brand spanking new on January 1st, which at that point, the GW circuit and the ITC circuits start on the same day. And at that point, FLG would have a bigger one-up on that because if you go with the GWs, those may also still score you ITC points. And imagine how big of a points boost it would be to go to the WCW with the best players from <clears throat> multiple countries. So you could have people coming from poland and sweden and all the other big w show up and this would actually be the per i don't know why i thought of this but this would actually be the perfect season for them to switch to elo rankings rather than yeah if all that ends up working out because then you have the qualifying slots of the wcw end up being literally the highest elo cert like the highest elo game seen ever mm-hmm. except for maybe the one like random joe schmo that just happened to win a qualifying slot and went <laughs> you can still rank them you know lower than the point is they have a ranking as opposed to a schmuck who's trying to get in on an at-large tournament you know so yeah you're fine so yeah you do the elo rating for this year and then you could literally watch the entirety of the player blade the player base either grow or diminish because of how the ranking system goes now, the problem is, is that you would see the same, like, 10 names up in the top 10 for a while because they would have such a high ELO. Yeah, there's different ways to modify it, too. Because one of the things, for example, Magic the Gathering uses a proprietary ELO formula. And one of the things they do is if you don't play for a while, you lose points. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you were real big back in June. and But it's now August and we still haven't seen you hit the tables yet because maybe a balanced data slate hits you the wrong way. 
well, your your ELO rating starts to drop. So that could help move some things. Um, I don't know if you remember, we, we used to cover Josh Death. He had a great list. Mm-hmm. So Because he had um, pink horrors that bloomed into blue horrors that bloomed into brimstone horrors. And then finally Games Workshop mm-hmm. said, you got to pay reinforcement points for that. And then we never heard from them again. <laughs> so that, this is a, a common theme that happens. Somebody gets on a good list and, nope, sorry, it's, and they couldn't adapt. Whereas the better players yeah. figure it out. What's the, what's the next new fertile ground? Or, like, for instance, um, Jim Vessel, when him and Josh Jess were both playing, here's my, like, a billion Plague Bearers list with all the different Demon Princes and all this other stuff that was, like, super techie and movement blocking that list was super high skill level but if your opponent didn't know how to deal with it you just kind of won the game outright because you could just hold all the objectives yep yep and then when that list got nerfed into the ground that's when you saw the loyal 32 and a castellan come around (laughs) (laughs) yeah no you're absolutely right it's funny because um funny you bring that list up the last time i went to lvo was the iron hands debacle so i built my list to take out iron hands and i got i did well because i faced three iron hand opponents so and uh so i was like yay look at me but uh round three i was like i was riding high <laughs> on the two and oh and um i run into an australian wtc player who's playing that same plague bearer list i'm like uh, I don't remember how to deal with this, and I don't have the tools for that anymore. I left those at home, so uh, game yeah. over pretty quick. Yeah, I was just like, literally, like, oh, I just use. I don't have that in my list anymore. Oh crap! Oh, God, what do I do? Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So there's now taking off my tinfoil hat. There's there is a lot of ups and downs for the fact that there's now going to be two competitive circuits. One of them caps out at what a sec- what effectively is a gigantic event which is lbo like 800 plus players like dear god whereas one the other circuit ends at a specific event that you have to qualify for so it is not a oh i can just win this many events and go and i'll be in contention to win it's like no you have to conquer the hurdle of qualifying first and then you have to go over the next hurdle of winning you know that's a good point i didn't even think of that because realistically somebody like me can go i can go to socal i can go to lone star i get a couple gt points do good on a few rtts and then have a miracle run at lvo and have an outside chance of winning the atc probably finish in the top 15 or 20 right you don't have that option on the gw circuit you have to do well probably at two of their events at minimum to qualify we'll have to see how they mm-hmm. break down the how they determine qualifiers that's one thing we, we're not quite clear on if they're even using itc points so they have their own arbitrary system so yeah how do you qualify for that event um isn't really spelled out that's a very good point Hmm. which touching on that on the article that talks about the wcw you can go to a form to try and have your event be qualified as a qualifying event for the gw search interesting how they did that so they are looking for your help it is very much the same logic that fog had where you can plead your case to become a qualifying event so that way we can give buy rounds at lvo which if you go to the WCW and you go like three and three. Well, your three qualifying your three qualifying events were all FLG events. You get day one off at LVO. 
Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yep, all all the dots are real close together, and it's not hard to connect some dots. But there's, it, we might as well be drawing like the big old like office conspiracy net thing. Just, just things. There's stuff, but we don't know the center of it all. Right. So if you do want to jumpstart your season and you have your army ready to go for LVO and don't want to do any painting in the few weeks after that. I would recommend Scorched Earth Open. Tickets are on sale now. The event is February 25th and 26th here in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. So just a few miles outside of uh, Phoenix. And uh, tickets right now are $60. Uh, they will go up in later date. So get them while they're still at the discounted price. And uh, you can find us at our Smite Club website. That's smiteclub40k.com. Smite club40k.com make sure to pick up your tickets now because tickets are still available and a great way to start off the season get some points from whichever track you decide to go for and also for the morally the morally obligated it is also a little bit of a charity event because talking to the organizer half of the proceeds are going to go to helping out some of the school programs for a local school here in arizona so at that point, we are giving something back to the community and not just taking up table space. Yeah, this isn't a money grab from a bunch of gamers trying to compete with the group. This is a great way to give back to the local community, especially in an area. Uh, Arizona, although a, um, the Phoenix area is actually the sixth largest media market in the United States. We're bigger than Philadelphia. We're just behind Houston. For some reason, we are 39th in teacher salaries. So public schools are definitely uh, in need of your help. So uh, plus it's a, a great event. It'll be our ninth year. So we are very excited to be throwing uh, this event. And, um, and those who attended in the past had a great time. So time to um, put the circle those dates on your calendar. Be more than happy to. And, oh, gee, you get to meet Robert and I as well as Ray. So meet the team. <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm going to have a big old night army. It's going to be hard to miss. Well, I'm going to be even harder to miss because I'll be uh, wearing my referee jersey as I'll be the head judge. But um, not sure what Ray's going to be wearing. We'll see. We'll find out. So that might be reason enough well, just to come. Yeah, yeah. Knowing him, we also don't know what army. <laughs> and if you ask him today, he may change his mind twice before then. Yeah, true. I mean, he's pretty, he's been pretty hung up on on Votan for a little bit there. The new shiny. Yeah. So. Like we said, we throw the term game changer around a lot on this show, but um, this was a big one, folks, and we're going to be following this for you throughout the season. Uh, we have a few new things in store for the, the upcoming season as well on our podcast and um, look forward to seeing those. But uh, over the next few weeks, we'll start our countdown to LVO and uh, continue tracking some of the top players and how they position themselves uh, leading up to the end of the ITC season. But uh also, as we get more details regarding Arcs of Omen, some really nifty uh, stuff, as well as um, we focus mostly on the competitive side of things, but uh, the lore as well is this is up there with um, Gathering Storm and um, Psychic Awakenings in terms of mess uh, changing up the lore a little bit. Yeah, the the Arcs of Omen stuff is definitely going to shake up things a lot for the lore. I'm excited to see where they go with yeah, so just excited to see everything as we go down and uh, this rabbit hole of new stuff. So for that, um, lots more to look forward to. In the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Yeah.